Welcome to Credo, with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. The topic of this week's episode is the three short words that stand at the very centre of the Creed, and became man, or in the Latin, et homo factus est. These words, as I mentioned last week, are central to the creed, not just in their location, but in their importance for us. So it seems worth devoting one episode of this podcast to them, to this question, what does the Incarnation mean to us? As always, I should say, this is not going to be a comprehensive or an exhaustive account by any means, Just a meditation, really, if you like, on the significance of the Incarnation. And to keep things simple, I'm going to be guided by the Catechism, which is, as usual, very straightforward, and which gives us four reasons for the Incarnation, really answering the question, why did the Incarnation take place? Why did the Word become flesh for us? Okay, So the first reason given by the Catechism is this. The Word became flesh for us in order to save us by reconciling us with God. Reconciling us with God, so um, by removing or remedying the separation between us and God. Now, there are lots of ways of looking at this, but one useful way, and I might add one very scriptural way, is to look at the Christian tradition of Christ, our High Priest, who offers himself as sacrifice for us. The roots of this tradition go way back into the Old Testament to the Jewish festival of the Day of Atonement. And uh, interestingly, the Day of Atonement is one of those rare instances of us actually using English words to describe theological and spiritual realities, using English rather than Latin or Greek words. So the word atonement derives obviously from the English word atone, which, if you pull it apart, literally says at one. To make something or someone at one with each other, to reconcile. And in the ancient Jewish tradition, the Day of Atonement was the only day on which the high priest was permitted to enter into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. And he did so in order to offer sacrifice in the form of the blood of bulls and goats for the collective sins of the entire people, to atone for them, to remove the sin which separates them from God. So we've come across before this notion of what happens in the Old Testament being a kind of prototype for what happens in the new. And in this case, the letter to the Hebrews shows how Jesus Christ supersedes the Old Testament model of atonement, the Old Testament prototype. So if you take the five elements of the Old Testament prototype, so that is number one, the high priest, entering at number two, the presence of God, offering number three, the sacrifice of the blood of animals, Uh, four, number four, the entire people, and number five, doing so every year on the same feast day because his sins and the sins of the people have to be taken away again every year. 
And then we can see these five elements superseded and fulfilled in the crucifixion. So, as the letter to the Hebrews explains, we have number one, Jesus, our high priest, entering number two into the presence of God, that is, into heaven itself, not just the tent on earth. So, Hebrews says here, Christ has entered, not into a sanctuary made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So, that's number two, entering in the presence of God, offering... Number three, again quoting from Hebrews, not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, and making the offering for everyone that ever lived. That's number four. And doing so, not repeatedly, as the ancient high priest had to, but once and for all. So, again, as Hebrews says, not to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place yearly with blood not his own, but he has appeared once for all, at the end of the age, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And there we have it. Jesus, our atonement, through his incarnation, reconciling us with God. Or, as John the Baptist proclaimed, and as we hear it in the Mass each week, Jesus is that sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world those sins which separate us from God. Okay, so the second reason given by the Catechism for the Incarnation is this. The Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. Our model of holiness. So we mentioned this last week, this idea of Christ as our model and our imitation of Christ. And of course you may well be aware that there is a wonderful uh, and really inspiring book devoted to just this subject, one of the great classics of Christian literature called Imitatio Christi, The Imitation of Christ, written by the monk Thomas Kempis in the early 15th century. Everyone should read The Imitation of Christ. It is, as I say, one of the very great Christian classics, very influential on Gosh, all kinds of saints, on St. Thomas More, for example, St. Ignatius Loyola, influential right down to the present day, and very readable as well. So I thought I would just read you uh, the very first words of this book of the Imitatio Christi, and the first words are these. He who follows me walks not in darkness, says the Lord. By these words of Christ we are advised to imitate his life and habits, if we wish to be truly enlightened and free from all blindness of heart. Let our chief effort, therefore, be to study the life of Jesus Christ. And that's really uh, the keynote of the Imitatio Christi, studying the life of Jesus Christ. And of course we do so in obedience to Christ himself, as we recalled in last week's episode, Jesus says to his disciples, Learn from me. Learn from me. In fact, it's perhaps worth pointing out that the word disciple itself comes from the Latin word discipulus, which is the usual word for pupil or student, one who learns. And likewise in the Greek. The Greek word for disciple is mathetes, which means similarly 
one who learns. So our discipleship, our Christian life, is a constant learning process. We are always learners. We are always learning from Christ himself. And we are able to do that. We are able to learn from Christ because of the Incarnation. Now, the third reason given by the Catechism for the Incarnation is the Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Jesus shares in our human life in order that we might have a share in his divine life. This is what theologians call theosis, a word which means becoming like God, that extraordinary destiny to which we are all called. Those words of the Catechism are in fact a quotation from St. Peter, who in his second letter talks about us becoming partakers of the divine nature. And it's one of the central claims of Christianity that we are called to participate in the divine life. The simplest uh, classic formulation of this idea comes from St. Athanasius, who said, God became man so that man might become God. Very straightforward. And St. Athanasius is amply enough quoted in the Catechism, which also quotes St. Thomas Aquinas on the same subject. So St. Thomas Aquinas says, The only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he, made man, might make men gods, so that he might make men gods. Again, extraordinary claim. And we should perhaps also add that this desire of God for us to partake in his divine life is, you might say, hardwired into creation. It is at the heart of our understanding of creation itself. So something willed by God from the very beginning of time. This is what the Catechism has to say about creation. In fact, this is the very first line of the Catechism, so you won't have far to go to read it. First line of the Catechism says, God, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. The Incarnation is a fulfillment of the plan of creation from the very beginning that we should share in the life of God. And then the fourth and last reason given by the Catechism for the Incarnation is this, the Word became flesh so that thus we might know God's love. So that thus we might know God's love. And here the Catechism starts quoting from the first letter of St. John, who says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. In fact, we could actually add another quotation from earlier on in the same letter, uh, which says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We know the love of God through Jesus Christ. If you want to know how God loves us, look at the Incarnation. Look, for example, at the risks God takes in sharing our life, how vulnerable he makes himself in order to come among us. 
we can take uh, just one element of this. Let's consider, for example, the ordinary down-to-earth reality of being born in Palestine in the first century AD. Let's just consider, for example, the risk to any baby's life in first century Palestine. So uh, the best and most sophisticated medical care for babies, the best neonatal care anywhere in the world today, and indeed anywhere in the world through history, is in fact Singapore. Singapore is the safest place to be born. Now, if you were God, if you had come up with this recklessly crazy idea of sharing completely in human life, wouldn't you choose to be born in 21st century Singapore rather than in 1st century Palestine? After all, you're God. You can choose where and when to be born. So it is the measure of God's love for us that he is willing to take such risks, make himself so vulnerable, in order to share our lives. So that brings us to the end of the four reasons for the incarnation listed in the Catechism. Uh, the Word became flesh for us in order to save us by reconciling us with God, that's number one. In order to be our model of holiness, that's number two. In order to make us partakers of the divine nature, that's number three. And in order that thus we might know God's love, and that's number four. And then to that last reason, knowing God's love through the incarnation, I'm going by way of conclusion to add just one more. And I apologise because uh, this podcast has gone on quite a while, but it seemed worth adding one more uh, uh, reason, particularly that last one. So, as we've seen, uh, the Word became flesh so that in him, in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, we might know God and discover God. But more than this, the Word became flesh in Jesus Christ so that in him we might also know ourselves and discover ourselves. We come to know and discover God in Jesus Christ. We also come to know and discover ourselves in Jesus Christ. This is one of the great teachings of the Second Vatican Council. Jesus reveals the truth to us about ourselves. It's something that Pope St. John Paul II talks about in his encyclical Veritatis Splendor, The Splendor of Truth, when he says, the decisive answer to every one of man's questions is given by Jesus Christ, or rather, is Jesus Christ himself. And the Pope actually quotes um, from the Second Vatican Council itself, from Gaudium et Spes, which says, It is only in the mystery of the word incarnate that light is shed on the mystery of man. It is Christ who fully discloses man to himself. Christ discloses man to himself. Revolutionary teaching for the modern world, which we've really not yet digested and put into action. It reminds me of something written by Thomas Merton, the Cistercian monk, uh, writing just in fact before, just before the Vatican Council opened. Merton says, 
to be a saint means to be myself. Now, this is not modern narcissism, which tells me to love myself and that I am beautiful just as I am. It is the other side of that coin, if you like, the opposite side of that modern narcissistic coin. To be a saint means to be myself. I don't have to be anything other than myself, but I have to be myself, authentically and truly. I have to be, I am called to be, the authentic version of myself, which I will discover only in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to end by paraphrasing Merton on this theme. The secret of my identity is hidden in Christ. Ultimately, the only way that I can be myself is to become identified with Christ in whom is hidden the reason and fulfillment of my existence. If I find Jesus Christ, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining me this week and do join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. May God bless you all and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.